This is exactly right. If you're a fan of meticulously crafted worlds that reimagine every little detail, then you'll enjoy the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Host Eric Malinsky spent over a decade working in public radio and uses those skills to create a sound-rich podcast that features interviews with Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, the writers of hit TV shows like Star Trek Strange New Worlds, designers of games like Magic the Gathering, and the puppeteer who designed Miss Piggy. You can find Imaginary Worlds wherever you're listening to this podcast. Welcome to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie DeCherico. I'm Danielle Henderson. And we're here again with you uh, on this episode to talk to you about the wonderful world of films and film watching. Films good and bad. Peaceful and stressful. Uh, what's up? Well, most mostly good. Mostly good. Yeah. Even the stressful ones. Yeah, no, listen, so let me p- point out at the beginning. So we did an episode like a while ago, like last month uh, for Father's Day. And a lot of people were writing to us because apparently I completely missed the female nudity in The Stepfather. <laughs> and I don't know why, because I've seen that movie many times and I must have just forgotten or I don't know, whiz past it. But well, also, I mean, it's like we, we were making a point about how female nudity is egregious and male nudity is rare, especially yes. when this movie was made. Right. And so we didn't mean to kind of blanket statement. There's no female nudity in the film like that was if that's what we said, because, you know, I don't remember what we say. The minute it leaves my mouth, it's yeah. gone out of my head. <laughs> but <laughs> no, but I, based, I, our, our point was just that, you know, our point was dick blood. <laughs> yes, it was. The larger point was obviously dick blood, which we talk about on multiple episodes now. Um, it feels like a full character on our show at this point. But yeah, I completely <laughs> forgot. And and then, you know, whoever pointed this out to me, and this was multiple people, obviously, saying like, oh, but it was, you know, the Jill Sholin character. So she was technically supposed to have been 16. And how weird is that? I'm like, yeah, that's really weird. I guess it isn't feminist that I thought, I think that was the thing that I said was like, <laughs> oh, it's, is it feminist that we only see Terry O'Quinn's dick and nobody else's? But I'm like, oh no, I'm sorry. I must've missed the fact that we saw a teenage nude girl, I guess, technically. Um, even though the actress is of age, but you know what I mean? No, I think it's, I think it's cool to point it out. Cause a few people did write in and were eager yeah. to tell us that we missed that and yeah we did. I, yeah <laughs> i just wanted to write a wrong but um the only other thing i wanted to point out about that episode in particular which apparently was a barn burner episode everyone was like writing <laughs> in about this but the 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 name of the episode is called complex sensual humanity and it's because i said the term complex sensual humanity in reference to terry o'quinn's dick okay that term is, in fact, something that was not created by me. It was created by one of our listeners. Her name is Emily. And she wrote this unbelievable email to us a long time ago that we actually read on one of the bonus episodes with Kurt Braunohler, in fact. And we could not stop laughing about that term. Oh, my and God. And so I just used it because it's the best term to describe what that is. And so... completely. Emily is a genius. Thank you so much. She wrote again to us and said, oh my God, I couldn't believe 
I, I heard my term on a main feed episode and I was like, you've influenced us. So thank you. You, de- you deserve the, the, the credit. Credit where credit is due. Yes. And she also, not for nothing, and this is just a, this made me feel great personally, is that she um, enjoyed the fact that I programmed the movie Wicked Stepmother on TCM. I just have to say, it's a a very special film, and I'm glad that somebody appreciated that. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Emily. (laughs) I feel like, if nothing else, this podcast has introduced you to a potential, like, friend for life. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you have so much in common. I know. I'm like... I know Emily is probably like, uh, I do not want friends that host podcasts. Like, I have enough of those. <laughs> Don't all your friends host podcasts at this point? Like, everybody has a podcast. So, you know. I think there was definitely an an, in, an uptick in podcasting during the pandemic. Yeah. And I think a lot of people... A, a couple people started, but actually most of my friends don't. And so I know they don't listen to this either because they don't have or listen to podcasts. Like, I cannot tell you how many of my friends are like, maybe I'll listen one day. And I'm like, we have been friends for 30 years and it would mean a lot to me if you just would. Yes. <laughs> like, just one. But they're literally like, they, it's not personal. They just do not even have that time or, or inclination in their day to want to listen to any podcast ever. They are the coolest people on planet Earth. Let's just say it. <laughs> if you if you just have refused the world of podcasts, I salute you. It's like you're like living in in the world. You're you're living in a conscious state. I have the opposite situation, which is that a lot of my friends do podcasts because a lot of my friends are actually and this is not a this is not a flex, obviously, but a lot of my friends like do comedy or they're like, you know, sort of media people. So a lot of them do podcasts, a lot of classic right. movie people. But then the, my friends do listen to our podcast, but they only tell me they like you. <laughs> and we talked about this before where my friends text me all the time and they're like, what's Danielle doing? What's going on with her? How's she been? Like, I love her. I love her movies. I love her vibe. And I'm like, cool. You're like, are we actually friends if you only text me about another person? <laughs> This is my, maybe this is like a latent middle school fear of mine that's come to the surface that I'm just like, oh, like, I'm always constantly afraid that like my friends will want me to move out of the way so they can meet the cooler, more interesting friend that I've introduced them to. Oh, no. Um, Listen, if there's not, if if nothing else, if you've learned about friendship with me particularly, is that I will kick those people in the face because you are the coolest person I know. Oh, thank you. And if they can't see that, they can't be friends with me. No, I actually, listen, to be completely honest, I mean, all the joking aside that I just (laughs) did, I am thrilled when people like are introduced to my other friends and that because yeah. I only keep cool friends. I mean, that's kind of the secret exactly. of life is that if you have good friends that are interesting and awesome and are better than you, then of course you want people to like them and want people to be friends with them. And that's kind of how I roll, at least at this point in my life. Like Same. I had some questionable friends in, in my youth, but now <laughs> oh, only the hits, baby, only the hits. And so Anytime somebody literally will text me like in the middle of the night to, to tell me something that you said on our <laughs> podcast as if I wasn't there. 
I hate it. I hate it. I'm like, I'm like, yo, it's a fucking win for me. So well, that's because you are the coolest and the most supportive and the best. And look, I just need everyone to get on the level. You're the you're the best person I know. You're the greatest, the smartest, the funniest. And they don't need to text you about the dumb shit I say. (laughs) I mean, uh, listen, sometimes when we listen back to the edit, I will will laugh again like i will listen to what oh, something that you've said again and also the way that you've said it a lot of times it's kind of like a i don't know it's like your comic timing or something just like jumps out at me again and i'm like <laughs> i love this bitch i'm so glad we do this podcast together because i'm laughing again i feel the same way i feel the same way and it is it's just fun and i think that's why i also kind of want more people in my life to listen is that like yeah. I'm like, well, one, it's a way to actually keep up with my life. Like I talk about my life every week on this podcast, as do you. And so it's maybe lame. Of course, I'd rather sit and have a glass of wine and catch up with you. But if I don't see you for three years, it'd be nice if you just like, you know, tapped in sometimes and were like, hey, I heard this. And it's a way it's for me, it's a way to keep in touch, a very latent way to keep in touch. Um, But I wish that that people had that because well then i will talk to them and they'll be like so what's going on it must be awesome and i'm like oh you had no idea about the contractors the groundhogs of this the, that the everything yeah um and you could have if you just listened in real time but yeah i think it's yeah. it's strange that i don't know a lot of people who podcast and i think part of it is that i no longer live in a city and most of my friends have moved out of cities yeah um but also <laughs> i'm like trying to figure out how do i say this without offending 90% of our <laughs> listeners, but oh, um, I don't fuck with com- a lot of comedians. I don't fuck yeah. with a lot of actors. I don't fuck with performers a lot. Yeah. Um, and so there's only a couple. And, you know, those people who I, you know, who are my friends who are also performers, if they, you know, they have podcasts, they're really good. Like Kurt, Kurt, Kurt and Scotty's podcast is so good and makes me so yeah. happy. But yeah, like I just kind of just don't know a lot of people who perform or do this kind of thing and yeah um you know they don't want to sit in their closet on a 90 degree day and fog up their glasses to talk about some weird movies so (laughs) well yeah i mean to anybody that is thinking about starting a podcast now i'm like okay listen it's a lot of work it's a lot of like closet time sometimes like it's so hot glasses are fogging up as we're talking like it's you know it's a lot of work. And uh, but I will say this. I mean, you know, when it comes down to it, I feel like, you know, podcasting is sort of like a good way if you have like really intense knowledge about something or like just a way to like, you know, I don't know, sort of like communicate your thoughts. I mean, it's kind of just like a blog, but on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> do I want to go down this road? I don't yes. even know if I want to go down Keep this road. Keep going. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, well, that's maybe also maybe like, but I think part of it too is that like maybe my affinity for podcasts is that I used to love blogs and reading blogs. So yeah, it seems like an extension of that to kind of be like, I'm still learning about your life. And so my friends who don't listen to podcasts also never really fucked with blogs. And we're like, that's not how I like to learn about people. And that's fine. I love so many podcasts. Like I just... I don't listen to anything when I'm working, but it is a nice way to relax or when I'm driving around. And like, I just love so many because they feel informative about yeah. the world or about people. And that's kind of something I've always been interested in. So I, I dig it. Yeah. I mean, truth be told, I mean, it's like we ca- we came from that whole 
era of the early internet of blogs and live journal and all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like there is a moment of like, maybe if you didn't experience that, or maybe if, you know, then you just don't understand, like, what is the point of listening to a stranger talk about something or something? You know what I mean? Like, it's like the idea of, of hearing somebody that you don't know pontificate on any subject is weird to you. And I'm like, okay, well, that's chill. I mean, I guess that's like another source of energy that you can use to like deadlift or, you know, solve climate change so i'm not begrudging you for not doing it but i'm just saying that like you know that's kind of i guess what i see podcasting about and maybe that's probably why i also think a lot of my friends just want that attention they just want to be in the spotlight (laughs) (laughs) so and maybe that's why a lot of them are comics and performers this is also real that's a a, a primary motivation for a lot of folks yeah now that we've covered the the spread on podcasting i was going to ask you like what's going on with you this week not much. I feel like um, I'm I'm looking for a home health care aide because I'm starting a new job soon. And um, it's just really it's weird to interview people and it's weird to like do background checks and like have to dig into their life to be like, are you is it cool to have you in my house? Like, I've, I just yeah. don't have a ton of experience with that. So it's just really strange to be like, who the fuck are you? What the fuck have you done in your life? <laughs> Yeah. You know, I had a home health care person when I was sick for about, God, I want to say it was probably about three or four months. And I didn't get to interview anybody. They just sent somebody. So I was like, oh, okay, I guess you're here. And so, yeah, she was a woman who was, I think she was Romanian, perhaps. And she was very sweet. But the one thing that I thought was so interesting was that she was really like dolled up all the time. Like, she came to the house and she was wearing, like, I'm not saying stilettos, but, like, very high heels. <laughs> and she had, like, lots of, like, fancy outfits and, like, you know, full face of makeup. She had great hair. And, I mean, I don't know, maybe because this was L.A. and maybe just, like, the home healthcare people just look like this. They look beautiful or, and and, like, they're ready to go to, like, an award ceremony or whatever. But I was like, wow, you're coming over here and you are literally changing nasty bandages from my abdominal wound in this beautiful outfit and presumably you're going to leave here and you're going to like change somebody's catheter out. I'm like, yo, girl, you looking good for that. You're looking good for that catheter work. I, I'm just saying. I, <laughs> that catheter work. I completely agree that it's an L.A. thing because I think <laughs> more than anything, I don't think it's the standard that you have to look beautiful. I think it's like if you're a part of a service where they just send you to somebody's house. Yeah. You could be, you could one day just get an assignment and someone's like, you have to go to Brad Pitt's house and wipe his ass. And that could change your (laughs) fucking life. And if you look like shit, maybe he ain't going to put you on. (laughs) Not not to brag, but I was Brad Pitt's ass wiper. I mean, this is the kind of shit you hear in coffee shops in LA. Like, um, (laughs) you'll never guess I was at Brad Pitt's house yesterday wiping his asshole and now i have a starring role in the next <laughs> and i have an entire podcast talking about my days as brad pitt's ass wiper <laughs> this is how 
how this shit goes down. It's a very LA thing. Cause let me tell you, the home healthcare aides here are like, we need sensible fucking sketchers. We need <laughs> like <laughs> a breathable, supportive shoe. We need a pant that we can very loosely lift and lower people with. We will wear a nurse's scrub if we have to. Like we are figs as big in this area. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah, it's definitely like a sketcher or a dance go, but the professional line. Yes. So for people who are on their feet all day, but yeah, they're very like huge, comfortable shoes, right? <laughs> Not stilettos. Completely. So yeah, because in LA, you're like, I could be sent, like, I don't know, I just have an address and I go to this, pl- an address and a list of ailments. And then you show up and Peter Bogdanovich is like, why don't you clean out my fucking fucking cigarette hole or whatever (laughs) (laughs) you never know paris hilton could be like i need you to fucking shave down my bunions like i don't know (laughs) peter bogdanovich's cigarette hole and paris hilton's bunions shit in la is real and the other thing is you know people who are famous, who have to have home health care aides come by, are also very private. Yeah. So if you look the part, like if you look like you have your shit together, it's probably better for you, for your job. Yeah. Yeah. I, un- understood. Yeah. I was blown away by the fucking opulence of these home health care people. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry to make to make you have to park on you know, Fairfax and walk like five blocks to my apartment because there's nowhere to fucking park. In your beautiful stilettos. I'm sorry I don't have this, like, <laughs> walled uh, driveway where you can just, like, pull up and my Rolls Royce is there. You need a working girl sneaker change. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, my this God. This is a small working girl sneaker change. But, yeah, man, it's 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 a whole different fucking world out there. I don't... I, I personally would never... It's already strange enough to have someone come in your house to take care of you in any capacity. Yeah. And if somebody showed up like full glam, I'd be like, you got to get the fuck out. I don't, I can't sit here and feel bad, feel even more terrible about myself just because <laughs> you look good. And I haven't showered in four days. Yeah. Like you got to fucking go. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I was thinking. I was in such like a fucking like chill state that I was like, Oh yeah, here's this like beautiful woman coming in here, looking at me at my literal worst. And <laughs> I guess I guess I'm just chill. I guess I'm going to, you know, dissociate and just think about something else. But well, let me ask you this. Do you have any so you've been interviewing people, you're currently interviewing people? Yeah. So what I've I've done two things. One is I I called a service that operates locally and kind of just got the download from them about what what I would need to do if I did want to hire them. Because what, yeah. the reason I kind of don't want to use a service is that I want because my grandma has dementia, it has to be kind of the same person coming every time so that she doesn't get freaked out. And I think from what I've discovered with this one service, at least it's like, we'll just send whoever like we'll try to keep it the same person, but we will mostly have to send whoever's available. And I'm like, ah, that's not really my jam. But then I have recommendations um, before she left her her retirement community. I just I met a couple of home health care aides while they were doing their thing. so like when I was taking out the garbage, I would see someone in like the nurses scrubs and be like, hey, cool. Do you work for someone here? And like, what is what do you do? Are you with a service? Or are you by yourself? So I got a cu- couple of names and I'm really confident about that because they seem like they're used to working with 
dementia and the but you have to ask all these strange not strange but like very practical questions and i think that that part is fine because it's more of a it's more of a vibe like do i like them does my grandmother like them do i feel comfortable with them being in the house but what's really strange is that i've had to admit to the two or three people that I've interviewed so far, like, hey, I also have a camera system downstairs. Like, I have a security system that has cameras, but I also have a camera system specifically for my grandma. Like, I have a a nanny cam, like a baby cam kind of thing. And one person was like, oh, that's weird. And I'm like, is it? And she's like, well, I just don't feel comfortable with that. And I'm like, well, then you can't come in this house. Like, I don't know what to do with that part of it because I feel like, I ain't shutting up those cameras. <laughs> sure. The reason I have them is so that if my grandma wakes up in the middle of the night or something, that I can see where she is in the house. Right. But it also makes sense to me that, like, if I'm working upstairs and I'm still going to be in the home, that I know what's going on with you while you're because I don't know you. I don't know. I just feel, I feel like a creep, essentially. <laughs> No, I mean, you know, it's obviously some, uh, yes, I think it's a very important conversation to have with anybody that's going to come work, be like, by the way, you're going to be on this cam and it's not like I'm going to live stream it on my website. I'm just telling you that like this is, has it has a function. Are you chill with it? And, you know, yeah. I mean, if you're not doing anything wrong, then you'll be chill with it, right? Exactly. I and mean, it's also like I'm not monitoring your work. Like I tried to make that clear to the, the person who was like, I'm not comfortable with that. And I'm like, that's cool. But um, you know, I, I try to make it clear that like I'm not monitoring what you're doing. I'm just making sure that she's all right. Like, I don't know, like you hear horror stories, like people beating up elderly people or losing their patience and mm. dropping them and shit. And I'm like, I just don't want anything to happen to her. And she's really you know, she's already in such a tender position yeah. <laughs> that it's like it has to be comfortable for all of us. And they don't have to stay on forever. But yeah, I personally feel more comfortable being able to see that she's being taken care of the way I would take care of her. Yeah, you need you definitely need some kind of like Philip Seymour Hoffman from Magnolia type who's <laughs> extremely chill, yes. who is like, you know, going to treat your grandmother correctly is going to be completely okay with the saw dvds like you know yes. just a person that's like kind of like you know good at their job but also like understands your family and the situation in a really good way and yeah I yes mean, oh yeah because there was definitely like, the, the person who was like uncomfortable with the the cameras she also rolled in with like she had so many she was wearing so many crosses of so many different like necklaces, bracelets, charms. It was like Madonna circa 1980s. Like she just had crosses <laughs> everywhere. And I'm like, you will not be able to handle it when my grandmother says she wants to watch Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> like, yes. This is not a good fit all around because a lot of old folks are not just like, let me sit down and read my Bible types. Like these are people yeah. who were active in the 60s and 70s now. That's the yeah. kind of elderly person you're with now. Like, you are taking care of old people who have been to orgies. So, <laughs> this is not like the Bible thumping old granny in a cardigan. This ain't your daddy's grandma. <laughs> this ain't your daddy's grandma. My grandma straight up said to me the other day, you know what I haven't done in a long time? And I'm like, oh, God, what is it going to be? She goes, I haven't gone to a casino. Would you take Ooh. me? And I was like, yeah, I take you. I'll give you $10. And when it's gone, it's gone. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> If y'all go to Atlantic City or whatever the hell you go, 
You call me. I will fly. Yes. I will fly there. I've always wanted to go to Atlantic City. Oh my also, God. you look, I've spent my time in some casinos and they are wild and fun and great people watching. And if you play with other people's money, it's super fun. But exactly. <laughs> but I love the idea of your grandma just like rolling up being like, let's go to the slots, babe. Like, yeah. She's like, I want to do slots. But I want to play blackjack and I want to do roulette. And I was like, damn. And I'm, now I'm realizing like, this is what she used to do with her fucking friends is go to Atlantic City and fucking gamble. Yeah. Oh, man. So like, I would so go with you guys. Are you joking? That would be amazing. Okay. This is the plan. You're going to come up and visit. Yes. We're going to have our, our we're going to find a way to turn a gurney into a vehicle. <laughs> We've been trying to do that for years. What? We're going to Atlantic City with my grandma. And if you want to bring your mom, more power, to, like even better. <laughs> and we're going to have a little family vacation where we just go to a casino and set my grandma loose. Look, we can go to the buffet. Come on. Uh, Come on. The There's buffet? a buffet scene in my film this week that uh, kind of put me off buffets for a moment. All right. Are we going to talk about this film? I think we have to. <laughs> okay. I think we have to. I'm already i'm already laughing because i insisted that millie text me when she started watching my film this week and the texts were incredible nobody so can see me making this face right now but i'm looking at you like this <laughs> i don't even have a good segue for this episode it is shocking this episode will shock and awe you. Let's just let's just talk about the theme because this let's, is again your theme, your vision. I don't know what happened. I just like completely fell off the face of the earth. And Danielle was like out here being like, "We're doing this theme and that theme and that theme." And I'm like, and all of them are wild. All of them are so fun and wild. But this one, oh my god. So I feel like this would need several disclaimers. <laughs> Yes. I'll just I'll just wrap up the disclaimer. I'll give you a general disclaimer. This episode is not for everyone, and these films are definitely not for everyone. If you are squeamish about anything in films, look these movies up first and do your own research to see if you think you can handle it. My God, yes. Go to go to imdb.com. The, there's usually like a content section. I think it's called like parental guide or parents guide or something like that. It usually will tell you like every instance of like cussing, nudity, weird stuff, weird stuff. Okay. This is a weird, these are two really weird movies, but I, first of all, what, what is the theme? It's very, the, the, yes. the phrase is simple, but it means so much. It, it could be anything. Our theme this week is simply, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> And the reason, the reason I wanted to do a theme like this is because I feel like every once in a while I'll watch a movie and I'll think, what the fuck did I just watch? Yeah. Like oh, truly yeah. leaving a theater being like, what? Like I feel stunned or just in a state of paralysis or just truly not able to make sense of or just leaving with a lot more questions than I had when I went into the film. Definitely. And, and this was, I remember when we were kind of brainstorming for something like 
you know, we had decided we wanted to do something that was based around this theme. Um, and we listed all the movies that had ever fucking perplexed and beguiled us in our entire lives. And I was like, oh yeah, remember that one? Remember that one? Yeah, mm -hmm. you didn't understand that one. So we were just like creating this giant list of movies to talk about, then settled on these two, which I have to say, I find it interesting that both of these movies are basically like in the fantasy or sci-fi realm. Yeah. So, oh, definitely. Yeah. And a lot, and I would say a lot of, I don't know, maybe I'm making a bad generalization here, but uh, quite a lot of like science fiction and fantasy films have that quality of that, like, wait, what quality? Cause it is like, you know, you're, you're dealing with big ideas, big creative visions, right? Exactly. And, and like you said, when you're dealing with films that are set in a different universe or in a different time frame or just in a fantasy space on the same planet that you're know, on planet Earth, I was going to say on the same planet you're on, like I'm some kind of fucking alien, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, on your planet, how you do that. But yeah, like when you when you're dealing with with a genre that that kind of twists the norm in any way, you're going to get some strange shit sometimes. And um I I I am very perplexed by my film, but I also think it's very strangely beautiful. <laughs> yes, yes, it's I I am I don't have to tell you guys. Never heard of this film. Never <laughs> seen this film. And it's it was a movie that was made in 2018, so you know it's it's a more recent film, and that is probably why I haven't seen or heard of it because right. Unfortunately, I just have such a gap with like like i try to see new movies when they come out but i always mean to do something and then forget and then two or three years go by and then somebody brings up a movie and i'm like oh yeah like that movie that i never saw but meant to and you yeah. know of course now like there's just so much going on let me just say this there are two production title cards that show up in front of movies that you watch and you make me watch in in on this podcast and it's either anytime i see an a24 or a neon i'm like uh-uh it's gonna be one of these it's gonna be one of these movies that's gonna fucking keep me up all night and this is a da this is a danielle pick and i know it is and mm, i'm in for it i'm in for it and you did it again you did, did it again I, I want to ask, before we get into the, the, this film, I want to ask, on a scale of one to hereditary, how disturbed were you by this week's choice? I mean, it was definitely past hereditary. <laughs> hereditary had moments of shock. But then once it was over, and a lot of it was because I watched it with my mom, as as famously, you know, we've talked about. So there was a lot of that, too, of just sort of like, oh, I watched this with a family member, blah, blah, blah. So there was, there was that component. This is something that I, I began to, th like, it, it just, like, has haunted me for the past 24 hours. Because I only <laughs> saw it 24 hours ago, people. Ah! So it's, it's fresh on the brain. And I'm like... Now I'm, I was like Googling shit. I was literally down like a Wikipedia hole at 1 a.m. last night, Googling like Nordic fucking <laughs> Nordic fairy tales and shit. And I'm like, what the fuck? And then, yeah, just 
there was like a moment where I just was like feeling bad about feeling bad. I don't know. Well, we can we can talk about it, but like it is truly replaced Hereditary now as the most disturbing movie that you've made me watch on this podcast. I have to say, I'm I'm proud of myself. I just I'm just I'm proud of myself. It's always my goal. And I'm like, Millie has seen everything. She's done everything. If I can freak her the fuck out, I feel like I have accomplished something. You you have managed to move the needle once again. <laughs> yes. And I and I will say this again, as I said on the hereditary episode, I don't know if I'll ever be able to forgive you. Like, I feel like now when I suggest films for these these themes, I feel like you're going to go immediately to the IMDb and check it. Check the parental controls for yourself. You'd be like, which one is she on this week? God. Well, I'm just I'm going to jump into it. And I'm also going right. to apologize right off the bat. I am not awesome at Scandin- the, the pronunciation of uh, Scandinavian names. Sure. Um, so I'm going to try my best because a lot of these names are Swedish or Norwegian. But I'm just going to try it because I, I think it's I think I have to. And I, I love the language. and I wish I knew how to pronounce some of these things. Yeah. Um, I actually have a friend who's Norwegian and I texted her and I'm like, can you help me <laughs> figure this out? And she would send me like voice memos. Oh, that's, um, sweet. that's the work I do for this fucking pod. <laughs> I will we text someone it. in Norway and be like, I don't know what time it is or if I'm waking you up or not. But I need to know how to say this. So my film for our theme of, wait, what? Was directed by Ali Abbasi. The screenplay is by Ali Abbasi, Isabella Eklof, and John Ajvid Linkvist. And it's based on a short story um, called Grands by John Ajvid Linkvist. <laughs> and my movie uh, was released in 2018. And it's Border. <laughs> Now, let me tell you that when I went to see this film, which I did see in the theater, it was at the Arclight. Mm. And I had no idea what I was getting into. So a friend of mine, my friend Emily, was like, had posted something about how this is such a magical, wonderful film. You've got to go see it. And I was like, yeah, I'm down. So I went and was shook. And I think, I, I believe I texted you when we were texting about this film last night, um, share my shookness. <laughs> because four years later, I have seen it two more times and I still am shaken to my fucking core every yeah. time. Oh my God. So just to get into this a little bit, my one sentence synopsis of Border is... A maggot-carrying weirdo sets the life of a Swedish customs agent on a trajectory of self-discovery. That is about as good as you can do for one sentence. Because it's so, it's so much more. But that gives you a good idea, I think. A good base idea. <laughs> I just tried to, you know, want to ease people into it. Um, and I will also say that... I feel like we are going to have to discuss and spoil a lot of the ending of the film, but not the very end of the film. 
So I am going to be talking about, because there are things that happen in this movie that are so disturbing that I feel, I would feel weird if we just left them hanging with no discussion. So just to get into a little bit of, of Ali Abbasi, he's an Iranian, Swedish, Danish director and writer. Um, and he has, he's he's just pretty, he's pretty well acclaimed in that circle of like fantasy and and filmmakers who kind of push the envelope. Like he's only made a few films, but he, but all of them are definitely like kind of like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so this was the first film of his that, that I had seen. And the main characters in this film are Tina and Vor. I, I'm saying Vor, but I think it's Vora, Vore. Like Vore is how he says it. And both of these characters are really Neanderthalic in appearance. So they're in the modern world, um, but they have pronounced brows and kind of snaggled teeth and they just look very like Neanderthalic for sure. Mm-hmm. Tina is our main character and that's who we see this world through. And Tina says at one point in the film that she thinks of herself as an ugly, strange human with a chromosome flaw. Um, so she's doing her best to kind of fit in to a world that she knows is not made for her. And one of the things that she excels at in her job as a Swedish customs agent, um, she excels at kind of like literally sniffing out smugglers and bad people. And she later reveals that she can sense shame, guilt, and rage. Mm. So she has this kind of like, again, this extrasensory kind of perception about the world that places this movie very firmly in that fantasy realm as a result. She lives with Roland, Roland, who is a dog trainer, even though his dogs bark at her and seem to really hate her. And it's not really a romantic relationship. Like Roland at one point does try to have sex with her one night when he's drunk and she's like, no, it'll hurt. I don't want to. And later when she's visiting her father in a nursing home, who is not Neanderthalic at all, um, he reveals that the house is actually hers. So he just flat out asks, like, are you sleeping together? And she says, no, I just kind of like having someone around who's nice to me, which is so sad. And she's definitely she's definitely a lonely person, um, but she's really kind and she connects to nature very deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, so when she says that, I'm just like, oh, God, it's so sad. Like, and it also kind of made me question, like, what does this say about her that she would put herself in such an uncomfortable position in order to live with anyone, just someone? Mm-hmm. Um, and this house is bleak. Like, Roland is not the best fucking roommate. Like, when she opens the fridge at one point, there's like a tin can with a spoon in it. And <laughs> that's just a sure sign of depression or mistreatment in some way. Yeah, there's a there's a, a a part where they're eating dinner together, like towards the beginning of the movie, where he's made spaghetti or so or some there's spaghetti on the table, and there's also a bottle of ketchup, and I'm like, ooh, dude, this is dude eating spaghetti with ketchup. I don't know. Mm. I'm like, this. There has not been a sp- a pasta eating scene that has disturbed me more since I saw Gummo. <laughs> Great spaghetti moments on film. Um, yes. Definitely, uh, definitely a part of that tradition. But yeah, this one is in there now because I was like, damn, maybe it's it bleak. should be depressing spaghetti. Maybe that's yeah. it. <laughs> Very depressing spaghetti. Yeah, maybe that's the can category. We, can we call this episode depressing spaghetti? <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> but it is. It's bleak. It's like a fucking bleak 
existence and it's in the woods and it's very like um secluded and but she is also part of a community somehow because she you know she has a neighbor who goes into labor that she gives a ride to at one point in the film um but there's also like when she's at work at one point she stops this guy who's smuggled in a bunch of alcohol and um he walks away and says i can't stand her kind so she seems to like Like, we kind of know that she's not the only one of her kind in this world, but also that she is a social cast out. Yeah, that she's very othered by everybody else, right? Completely, completely. And again, like, she loves nature. Like, she'll, she'll take off her shoes and go for a barefoot walk in the woods. And she's very attuned to sounds. And she plays with foxes. And it's not even, it seems like she not only likes nature, um, but that she attracts nature like she attracts animals to her she she kind of has something in her that again puts her in this fantasy realm of animals just flock to her Mm -hmm. and one day at work she's using these extra senses and she kind of senses something on this dude and she can't find anything in his bag and they're about to let him go and she's like let me get a sniff of that phone (laughs) and she smells his phone (laughs) and then she takes out the card And he tries to, he snatches it and tries to eat it. And as it turns out, it's filled with child pornography. Mm. So they turn it over to the cops. And the cops eventually are like, we need to locate the people who made the film. So we kind of need your help, Tina, to help us sniff it out. Because we think we know what area they're in, but we don't know specifically. Um, So she is, again, awesome at her job. But now she's also put in this place where she's working with the police to try to catch a deeper level of criminal. But this is also how she meets Vor at her job. Vorle. <laughs> so mm. I'm going to call him Vor. Um, Vor is a fucking menace. And <laughs> he is the kind of guy who he dumps an entire container of locks onto his plate at a buffet. And then he like, he growls at people. <laughs> and like, he's just hunched and again also neanderthalic in appearance but just a total fucking menace like he is he is the opposite of tina in that he kind of has to exist in this world but he does not want to and he's like fuck you if you think i'm gonna fit into your bullshit rules about how much locks i could put on my plate okay i want to talk about vor <laughs> oh <Okay>. we gonna because <laughs> uh, i was like did they have to make him look like Eddie Vedder? Like, he looked <laughs> cool. And there was a moment, and this is, okay, this is where I started having the shame kick in about, like, how I was sort of feeling at certain times of this film where I'm like, okay, this is, uh, this guy is kind of coming in on a cool breeze for this, for Tina, right? Yeah. He's like, yo, I'm coming through her line, and we kind of have a connection obviously because we sort of look similarly but at the same time he's cool like he's got like this crazy like kind of hipster haircut thing like you know he looks like Eddie Vedder in the 90s when he was in Pearl Jam and I'm like <laughs> what is up with this because because it's not just like oh here's like here's a you know sort of a a person that you're seeing kind of you know, enter into her life that sort of has the same physical characteristics, but he also looks like a badass. And I'm like, I don't yeah. know what, how I feel about this. Cause I'm no, like, no, because he's, he's sinister and he makes Tina uneasy, but she's also really attracted to him. And he's like, wears a leather jacket. And like, he, he <laughs> does have like a kind of like a cool hipster vibe to him. 
but he's also gross. But yes, like, he's at the same time, he is like fucking chugging raw fish <laughs> at the buffet, at the ship buffet. And, I, and that scene that you just talked about is so funny because it is that like woman in the back that's going, excuse me, but that food is for everybody. And he's just like, snarf, snarf, snarf. He doesn't give a fuck. He's Yeah, he's like, let me just keep scooping this on my fucking plate. What you gonna say about it? Yeah, exactly. But he's also like interested in like, you know, maggots and shit like it's kind of gnarly i gotta admit it was gnarly like his yeah his whole vibe was dirty gnarly hipster and i was like completely oh my god what do i think about this i can't can't even process it right and that's it's important i think it's important that you point that out because that is something that i feel consistently in this movie about both of them like how am i supposed to feel about them yeah and i'm not ever sure until a certain moment and i'm like oh fuck yeah okay um but he is he's like a menacing sinister weirdo and (laughs) like put it this way this is how they meet he's carrying a device in his bag that looks like a bomb and tina like sniffs it and she's like what the fuck this feels weird but not like bomb weird and he opens it and he's like it's just a bunch of maggots it's like a fucking maggot hatchery (laughs) but he designed it to look like a bomb on purpose like to fuck with her and he's like i just got some maggots and i'm like yeah that's creepy but somehow not illegal but it's just creepy and he's doing this while hitting on her effectively yes which i also had a problem with like i was sitting here going like okay this guy also has game which i'm like <laughs> that is fucking weird as shit i'm like yo like He's given her the whole, like, his whole vibe. He was very, like, Jim Morrison-like. Like, he was like, yeah, what's up? Hey, yeah, my name's War. What's going on? And I'm like, who the fuck is this motherfucker right here? Like, you're hatching maggots in your duffel bag, but then you come through with this, like, stud game. I'm like, this is crazy. This is crazy. It's so disorienting. It is so disorienting. And I should... <laughs> mention here that also the actors who play these two characters eva melander and iro milanoff are so fucking good in these roles not just because of the prosthetics but just like that whole the whole thing about how they carry themselves and they're so different like she's so much more meek in comparison to him and his like outward like creepy studness it's just it's very disconcerting (laughs) very like jim fucking morrison is perfect for this like dude can you wash your pants and just like stand up straight you don't have to come at me like that yeah i mean this guy is literally like short of being like at max fish in new york in the (laughs) 90s like hitting on women and like offering bumps of coke i mean he's just like that guy which is so weird because you're just like, what's going on with this movie? And, you know, but she's definitely like, she's There's enchanted. There's, she's she's feeling some type of way about meeting him, right? Oh, completely. And then he, he comes through again. He comes through the line again at customs. And he tells her basically, she's like, what do you do? Like, why are you always here? And he's like, well, I'm a traveler. That's what I do. I travel for a living. And it's like, doesn't go further than that. It's just, I am a traveler. Of course. But she still keeps smelling something something on him. So she wants to have him strip, uh, strip search. And she has her partner, who's, who's um, a man, strip search him. And this is where we discover that Vor has a vagina. Because the other guide, the other guard was like, you should have done this search. And Tina's like, what are you talking about? And then he tells her. 
And when she goes to apologize to him, to Vor, this is where we also learn that Tina and Vor have a lower back scar that's similar. And we see Tina's scar when she's kind of swimming naked in a lake near her house. And then Vor's scar as he's getting dressed and she goes to apologize. So they're having these like physical similarities. There's an attraction there. Um, she definitely can't explain it and neither can he. But she's her her interest is peaked when she finds out that um, he has a vagina. Yes, that was very interesting. I, you know, so much about these types of films, like these fantasy films, is kind of like the ways in which, like, you start figuring out the world that you're in, in terms of, yes. like, who these characters are. But as more information, like, so basically, like, part of, like, what was fascinating about watching this film was being like okay who are they how does this work how are they connected they're clearly being othered by these you know the rest of the people that are in the movie and why is that and then what is uh, mm -hmm. what well, how is this being revealed and so when that part happened i was like wow interesting okay well, yeah. now I'm now I now I have to know what's going on. Like as much <laughs> as I'm like, you know, basically like disoriented by this guy's like, you know, hipster bravado. I'm like, OK, <laughs> now it's taken now it's taken a turn. It's a, it's going in a different direction. And now you got me. I got to watch the rest, even though now there's a mystery. Yeah. Yeah. There's a mm -hmm. mystery element. What Tina does is she goes and finds Vora at his his hostel and he's genuinely like rooting around in the backyard of this hostel. And he's like, you want to eat this maggot with me? And she's like, no. And he eats one. He's like, yes, you do. And she fucking does. And seems like euphoric about it. Like she, her world has, all, has been changed. Cause she ate this maggot. So she invites him home. She's like, why don't you come live with me instead of living in this fucking hostel? Um, much to the, this, the dismay of Roland and his <laughs> dogs, because Vora rolls up and he's like, he instantly growls at the dogs and silences them when they start barking at him. And it just made me wonder, like, Tina could have done this. Like, why doesn't she? There's her her desire to fit into this world so gently is clearly putting herself. She's putting herself at risk. And Vora is not doing that. He's like, I ain't doing it. I'm growling back. Yeah. And then while they're in the house, like she has this guest house that he's staying in. And this is where they discover that they've both been struck and struck by and seem to attract lightning. So she has a lightning scar on her face. He has one on his collarbone. And he's just kind of living there. And then he goes off into the woods one night in pain. And then we see him later feeding maggots to something that is in a cardboard box that he keeps in the refrigerator. Mm. And you're like, all right, the mystery is deepening. Who is this guy? And why, again, why the maggots? Why? There's so many bugs. So many different <laughs> bugs in those woods. Why the maggots? <laughs> well, and, and this, and again, sort of re slowly revealing what is like who these people are. Exactly. Yeah, I was sitting here going like, okay, it's clear that he is like something, like she has sort of entered into this maybe like polite society, right? Mm -hmm. And he seems to be 
of the mind that like i'm staying true to to who we are like this is my roots baby i I fuck with maggots you don't because you're all fancy doing all the fancy shit with all these other like humans but like you know (laughs) i'm keeping it real and and there was that moment rose like keeping it real equals eating maggots yeah in this fantasy world he's like you eat lingonberries and i refuse to fuck with a fucking lingonberry (laughs) He has never been to Ikea. He has never ah. flat packed in his fucking life. He Ever. does not know what an Allen wrench looks like. Yeah. And it's it's like, it goes back to, to like, I just kept seeing this guy as like the ultimate fucking hipster, right? Because he was basically just like, <laughs> yo, I keep it real. Like, I don't have a home. I travel all the time. I eat literal trash and bugs. And this is me. I'm just keeping it real. I'm just fucking keeping it real. Oh, God. And this you poor woman's like, God, I'm wrapped up with this fucking loser. What is making me laugh about this is that this is such a clear trauma response to you watching this movie where you're like, he's just a hipster. He's just a hipster. He's not eating maggots. I'm not seeing what I'm seeing. <laughs> I know. It's like being filtered through like, my 20s and 30s of like dating like <laughs> terrible men <laughs> i'm like oh i have a job and this guy just collects maggots all day okay but i guess this is the only way i'm able to process what i'm seeing which is completely unbelievable by the way oh god it's incredible i'm like yeah i traumatized millie with this film yes. <laughs> she's like nope i'm not seeing any of this i'm just seeing eddie better eating a fucking bug <laughs> That's what I'm telling my therapist. <laughs> and then like five years down the road is going to be like the breakthrough moment of like, it was this fucking dude. <laughs> <laughs> he was not a hipster at all. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, well, shit. Tina's having a similar response. And yeah, but then it rains one night. So it, it rains and they're kind of huddled together. Um, and after you know because it's lightning and thunder and they're both really scared because again they seem to attract lightning she's kicked roland out um she's definitely like you got to fucking go um so they're there together and then after the rain they go out for a walk and we get to a sex scene that is so wild but for not the I think it's wild for a certain reason. I know you probably think it's wild for a totally different reason because you texted me about this. <laughs> I'm going to read you a little something that I found on ebert.com by Simon Abrams. And Simon Abrams seems to have been as disturbed by this movie as you were. Mm. And he says, Tina and Vore's sex scene is a bit much to put it mildly. He previously identified as a trans or intersex character pretty early on when Tina's colleagues strip search him and discover that Vora has a vagina instead of a penis. But when Tina and Vora have sex, the scene isn't just indelicate about his trans identity. It's disappointingly cavalier and insensitive. I'm pretty sure I get what Abbasi and his colleagues are trying to do, acknowledge how Tina feels about herself while also not patronizing her character by making Tina seem any less ugly than she feels. Here's what's up. I disagree with Simon Abrams on this. I don't think that Vora identified as anything. This is a fantasy realm. Yeah. I think that was him 
kind of projecting. And I think we don't need this many academic words to describe what is essentially a scene that is very animalistic, like drooling and snarling. And it is a a fantasy world, so it doesn't really play by the rules of the modern world. And part of yeah. me wishes that the writer and director focused on explaining this part more so that we wouldn't have these kinds of misinterpretations about it. But I actually think they did a pretty good job of showing and not telling what the rules of this world are. Yeah. Because basically, when Tina is aroused, a protrusion emerges that she has always considered a deformity in her own words. And I just think that like they are truly just pawing at each other and going at it in the woods on like a mossy ground. And isn't it beautiful when people find each other like that? <laughs> I just think it's it's just a weirdly beautiful scene to me because I'm like, oh, she's never had the ability to be fully herself and fully free. And I don't know. I think it's really cool that she did, but it's also such a graphic scene. And it is truly disturbing in so many ways. That is this, the center of how I felt this entire film is that there, there is a beautiful love story in this film between right. two people who are othered by quote unquote normal society, right? They have anxieties about the way that they look and how they behave and their bodies. Like all of us do, right? Mm -hmm. And there is something beautiful about somebody who is in, in a vulnerable moment in an intimate sexual situation being like, Here's like me, you know, and I hope that you're not freaked out by that. Right. And somebody saying, I'm not, by the way, yeah. like, I'm not going to be like that to me is, is like one of the most beautiful, tender experiences, right. Uh, in an intimate situation. And like in that part of it to me was wonderful. Like I thought, Oh my God, like this is like, you know, for, for this film, for this fantasy world, right? Like that moment is very universal in a way. Yeah. But then when I think the problem was that I just had like, they just showed the thing. Right. And then it just was so not what I was expecting at <laughs> all. And then just like the thought experiment of it, like the thought experiment of what they showed, I was like, Oh fuck. Like, okay. <laughs> Because it's not a dick. Like, it's not... <laughs> it's not a human penis. I'll say that. Which is why I disagree with with Simon Abrams about how this is about, like, a trans or intersex character. Yeah. Um, because they are very pointedly not making their genitals human. In any right. way. Right. Yeah, because I wanted to ask you about that, too. Because I was like, yeah, I don't think I saw... I saw these characters like that either i definitely said oh this is like a fantasy realm all bets are off like they're right. just kind of making up what these characters are do they even have gender like do they, you know what i mean it's that kind of thing yes. right yeah exactly exactly and that's again not to dismiss the fact that it could have been that could have been a narrative but 
the director and writers never expressed that. So I don't, that's why I kind of said before, I wish they either had explained it more yeah. or done a little bit more mining of this, the rules of this world to explain it. Because I don't think that it's, you know, I don't want to be dismissive of it if some people are seeing that in the film, but I just didn't. I really didn't. And part of it is that the the protrusion that Tina has, it looks like the like the pistol of a flower. Yes. You know, like it's not even it's not dick like at all in the way that we would classify it as a dick. It's just like a little thin the way Millie texted it to me. She's like, <laughs> basically, am I looking at a skinny dick mushroom? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you kind of are like that's. It looks like the pistol of a flower to me. Oh, my God. I hope my mom is not listening to this episode at you all. You know, she is. Oh, my God, mom. <laughs> Oh my god. But it's true. Like it doesn't look penile in the human sense. So yeah. that adds to me, that adds to the mystery of what are the rules of this world? How do people connect? And right. how beautiful it is that she could discover. Because the, the feeling I got when watching this was also that Tina had genuinely never let herself get that aroused before. Yes. So she saw it as a deformity. It might have happened once or twice. And it seems like she has done everything in her power to never get that aroused again and never feel that in touch with herself again. So, yeah, it's very, very animalistic. And after they have sex, she kind of says to to Vora, like, what what am I? And he straight up says, you are a troll. We're trolls. Now, trolls are very prominent in Scandinavian culture and folklore, um, you know, with especially Norwegian and and they're Icelandic trolls. They're specific to the region um, and in Sweden. And they're kind of like supernatural humans in um, these folklore um, ways. And but they also like. Like they stole babies and swapped them with human babies. And Vora kind of explains that later that about what these changelings are and he tells her there's like a, a, a nomadic community of trolls in finland and you know that's where they should go because they can live the way they were supposed to live so he he rocks her world because he's like we are trolls and she's like what the fuck <laughs> i know and it's at this moment where i stopped the film and i went on the wikipedia hole i was like <laughs> do i not know what trolls actually are like i'm like i'm i doubt that i know what an actual troll is right because all yeah. i know is troll the film <laughs> troll yep. two, um the <laughs> film but it's a thing where i was like oh I, I had to go back and read all about that sort of like historical uh you know the depictions of it within mythology and stuff like that and then i actually read because the part where they were afraid of the lightning and yeah. they were hiding under the table i thought was so like, I felt so bad for them in that moment. I was like, despite the fact that, you know, whatever I thought about this movie before, I'm like, oh, I actually feel bad for them. Like, they're completely freaked out by lightning. And yeah. then I read, like, you know, basically, like, certain trolls are afraid of lightning. So that was kind yep. of part of the mythology of that, you know, that creature or whatever. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. But yeah. yeah. And that's what this film does so well is that they take these things that were part of folklore and just kind of say, well, what if, like, what if they weren't folklore? What if it was part of our real world? Yeah. And I think that's what to me heightens the film and takes it out of that purely human realm. 
because and let me tell you tina is like i i don't know what you're talking about because she has truly been raised by humans to think she was humans that she was a human with a chromosome flaw wow yeah so the and there this also this scene you know this kind of this kind of post-sexual scene reveals a really fundamental difference between the two of them so vora basically thinks that humans deserve vengeance and that it is coming um, that they have abused and killed this troll culture and they deserve what's coming to him, to them. And he he says, and I quote, humans are parasites. The human race is a disease. And to prove it, because she's like, nah, humans aren't that bad. But to prove it, he points out that her father has been lying to her for her entire life about who she is. And it leads her to confront her father in a very beautifully intense scene but she wants to know who she is and it also leads her to some personal freedom like you know when she kicks out Roland and she says I don't want to live like I did before Mm -hmm. um but then she also looks at the box in Vora's fridge and it's a fucking baby yes yes this is where the movie starts to take a turn (laughs) (laughs) this is where shit gets real and we are connecting dots that I did not expect to connect. And we're looking at this little baby in a fucking box that's eating maggots. And Vora is like, it's not actually a baby. It's an unfertilized egg. It's a he seat. And he's like, I drop them all the time. Like, I drop these baby-looking unfertilized eggs all the time. And this is just how cavalier dudes would be about childbirth if they could fucking do it. Like, yeah, I just dropped a baby the other, and yeah, nine months, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I just dropped one. So he's like, yeah, I just drop these fucking eggs all the time. And they don't feel anything. And they only eat bugs, sleep, and then die if they're not turned into changelings. Oh, wait. So explain to me, if you can. I don't know if you can. <laughs> uh, I don't want to put you on the spot. Tell me a, about a changeling. Because I was, like, very confused about what those were. Yeah, I had to look it up myself and I had to try to do some some research. But essentially a changeling is, it's like a, a baby, a human baby that has been merged with a troll baby as a way to keep the troll population alive. Okay. So there's some kind of magic witchery stuff that happens, I guess. And that merges these two things. The unfertilized egg now has like consciousness and a human form. And it won't die. Okay. And the human baby is like, peace out. Like, you've taken over. And I'm gone. Which we do see later in the film. Yeah, And do. again, <laughs> spoilers, spoilers are ahead. So if you do not want this movie spoiled, please fast forward like five minutes. Oh my God. But the neighbor that Tina helps to the hospital when she's pregnant, when she's in labor... They're friendly with Tina. And so she goes and sees the baby and they bring the baby over. And when Vora is living there, he sees the baby. And towards the end of the film, the pa- she, Tina goes over to visit and the parents, because there's like an ambulance in the driveway and the parents are freaking out. And what has essentially happened is that Vora has taken his unfertilized egg and merged it with that baby. So the baby has like, very white or cloudy eyes and spots Mm. on its face and his nose is kind of deformed. And the mother says like, I just went to check the mail. I don't know what happened. 
And so we know what happens and Tina knows what happens. And that to me is like, so that baby is now like what a changeling is, I think. Okay. And if I got that wrong, if there's any scholars of, of Scandinavian mythology, please let us know. Yes. But that's yeah. what I, I interpreted as happening. Okay, yeah. Because like, I gotta tell you, when he first sees the baby, like the neighbor's baby, he's, re- he's like, oh, hey, what's up? Wow, beautiful <laughs> baby. Like, yeah. It is like Jim Morrison swag. He's like, yeah, how adorable. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> oh, n- now we know why he was acting yeah. such so cool around this baby is because he's he's got skin in the game i guess <laughs> exactly he's like i'm gonna swap these babies out. yeah mm, i'm not okay. just being cool for no reason i'm just gonna straight up swap your baby with a hisit oh my god and he does this because he says like this is a way that he is teaching humans a lesson and the big reveal which again if you do not want this spoiled please fast forward a few minutes the big reveal is that this also very strangely ties into the child pornography storyline right so the child pornographers have been caught with the help of tina and we see a scene where one of them the guy is in the back of a police van being taken away they stop because there's a moose in the road and then something comes out of the woods and drags this man out of the car and smashes his head on the ground and kills him. And it's Vor. We know who it is. Like, it's not ever revealed, but we know who it is. And he has done this because apparently he has been selling his receipts to child pornographers. And that is how he makes a living. And it is so fucking disturbing. That storyline rocks me to my core like i hate it yeah i mean i gotta be honest like it it was that moment where i was like okay this is taking a turn um that i don't know uh, i don't know what i think i mean it's it's just gotten disturbing like you know i mean i can sit here and and look at the the front part of the film and be like, oh, this is just like a very tender love story about two people who are like finding each other and their differences. And then it just becomes this like, you know, that part of it was like, wow, okay. This is like, yeah, kind of shaking me. You know what I mean? Like the, yeah. sh- the shookness comes a lot from this part of the movie. Completely. And it's it's completely. Even when they like first catch the guy in the airport, I'm like, oh fuck, man. Like, I don't want to deal with child porn. I don't watch Law and Order SVU for this reason. Like, there are just some things I can't handle. Yes. And this is one of them. And so it's a very strange connection because again, he has told us that these unfertilized eggs don't feel anything and they're not human. But the fact that he sells them on as if they are human to child pornographers is just something I cannot abide. Yeah, it kind of made me think, did it have to go that far in that way? Like, I was just like, okay, we understand that, you know, as a narrative structure, like this woman meets this mysterious guy and he's, you know, encouraging her to be kind of her full self in in this way, like, except the fact that she's, you know, this creature and that they they can like live a a a pure existence in that way but then Mm -hmm. he turns out to be a little bit more of a shady character 
Um, but then he just becomes the ultimate shady character by involving himself in that yeah. part of it. Like if he was just making changelings or whatever, then that's one thing. But then they just tumbled into this whole like child pornography thing. And I was kind of like, okay, this is like too dark, too dark, too dark for sure. But they, I will say that's not where the movie ends. It's just where it gets dark. Yes. The movie actually ends with a baby in a stunt beard. A little little unfrozen caveman lawyer baby in a stunt beard. And it kind of makes everything okay. No, it doesn't. It does not make everything okay. But it at least lets you leave the theater feeling like I'm not ending on a child pornography note. I've got a baby in a stunt beard. And back hair. The baby back had hair. back hair. That baby had... You could braid that baby's back hair. <laughs> it had a tail. It had a stunt beard. So you're so this baby is is now a baby troll, effectively, right? Is that what they're suggesting? Yes. That basically it's gone from this exactly. kind of like middle changeling stage to like a fully formed baby troll. <laughs> Hence the back hair and the beard. Because Vora, after escaping the police, has gone to Finland, essentially, and sends her this postcard and a baby and is like, here, like, shit's cool here. You could just have a, a troll baby and everything's fine. So he sends her, he could have just sent the postcard, but he sent the baby to, like, compound the, like, Finland's great. And that's, I think, what he was what he was telegraphing is, like, if you moved here, we could have the life we we're meant to have. But if you stay where you are, at least now you have this cool troll baby. Wow. God. I mean, I was sort of like, going back to how I processed the trauma of watching this movie, being like, just like a fucking dude to like drop in a present that's this huge responsibility. I'm like, huge. it's like when your boyfriend thinks you want a dog and then just shows up with a dog <laughs> on it's like, hey, I got us a dog. And you're like, oh, great. Now I have this responsibility for the next 15 years. And you just thought it was some whimsical <laughs> fucking present. <laughs> you're like, there's no guarantee that we're going to be together for 15 years. But now I am with this dog for 15 years straight out. <laughs> this is a, a bold move. In your whimsical moment, now I have to raise a troll baby. Exactly. That was now I got to learn how do I fucking comb back hair. <laughs> Without hurting this baby. I gotta like brush his fucking body from his forehead all the way down to his ass. <laughs> that is gonna take some time. There's not enough. How do I get the Johnson's baby shampoo needed? <laughs> the fucking key. But that's, but again, this is the beautiful thing. Like you kind of feel like this baby traveled from Finland in a fucking box and it was fine. <laughs> just, it, just had, it was like a box with some air holes. Just snarfling, snarfling his way to an, another country and then he eats a, a cricket and he's cool so you're like all right this is a low maintenance bearded baby <laughs> i just have to know just out of fucking i have to know it, was this a real baby that they spirit gummed back hair and a beard to whose baby was in the makeup chair for like three hours being like we gotta turn this literal infant into a troll somehow we, we got a makeup crib <laughs> <laughs> let's flip him over time to do that that tail i was like is if this is not the best cgi i've ever seen or if this is an actual <laughs> baby with back hair spirit gummed 
too well, much Well, I will back. say, Tina and, and Vora, they, they had a very good prosthetics budget for this yeah. film. Yes. So it's possible they were just spirit gum and a baby. Because <laughs> they had the budget for it. <laughs> they might have CGI'd the tail, but they had the budget for the little forehead and the face and everything. Oh my god. Absolutely. I want to talk to the I want to I want that baby and the baby who was on the cover of the Nirvana album to get together <laughs> in like 20 years and be like, we were those babies. <laughs> oh my but, god. Yeah, oh. they throw in the baby with the stunt beard. And I I have I just this movie makes me think of so many questions like does being human mean that you have to hurt things? And is yeah. Tina's dad a good or a bad person? Is Tina a good or a bad person? Is Vora a good or a bad person? Like, how far do we fall when we deny our innate nature? Um, but my biggest question when watching this film was, what the fuck did I just watch? Oh, my God. Here, here, my lady. Because <laughs> I, again, I... There, I was feeling so many things when I watched this movie. Like, I went in fucking blind. I mean, you know that, right? I went in blind. I had no idea what it was about. I didn't even look it up. And I was like, literally, this is the definition of, wait, what? Because I was, there yeah. was a moment where I was like, I truly said the words. Like, I, I think it was when uh, Vora was in the woods and he was mm. screaming in pain. And I yeah. had to rewind it like five times. And I go, wait, what? Mm-hmm. That, that phrase literally came out of my mouth. I yeah. mean, that's how I felt when I watched it. it was the it was not the first movie that it was the most prominent movie that came to mind for this theme. Like, I know we yeah. ran through a list of a bunch of them, but I'm like, this has to be it because I just I went in blind and was just astonished on several different levels when I left that theater. Well, you couldn't have picked a better film for the theme, obviously. And now this film has replaced Hereditary as the most <laughs> shooketh I've been on this podcast, thanks to you and your your selections. I am going to send you five gift certificates for a therapy session. <laughs> we will work it out. Had I known it was going to be a baby eating crickets, I would have been like, wait a minute. There's so many, so many things. But, uh, but you know what? W- what are movies if not to challenge us, I guess? Oh, Ch- speaking challenge of. literally every <laughs> thought I've ever had about anything. Speaking of, uh, we got your film still to oh, discuss. Okay. Well, listen, <laughs> that's a, this is the this is the, this movie is a walk in the fucking park compared to what we just <laughs> talked about. Shit, I was like, oh, you just got like weird seventies movies after this. Okay, <gasps> it really did make me think that too. Like after after I watched your film, I was like, every movie that I ever thought was weird has been replaced like <laughs> like people making weird outsider art in the 70s were basically making like children's programming compared to what they do now <laughs> thank you a24 and neon specifically <laughs> fuck oh god <sighs> well okay so my so my selection for the theme wait what um, is a movie from 1974. It was produced, written, and directed by John Borman, and it's called Zardoz. Who came here in the stone head? I don't know. It is the only path and passage into the vortex. You will show me how you come to be here. 
I, right off the bat, I need to know a lot about John Borman. Oh, God. Well, you know, John Borman, the director, we've talked about him before because when we talked about Deliverance, he directed mm-hmm. Deliverance. And um, Zardoz was the movie that he directed right after Deliverance. And not for nothing, I got to say this. He, after Zardoz, he directed Exorcist 2, The Heretic. And what a fucking run, if you ask me. It's like Deliverance, Zardoz, Exorcist 2, which, by the way, if you've not seen Exorcist 2, why wait? Watch it now. I'm sure it's playing on Tubi or Pluto or something. It's like hilariously terrible. But what um, a run. And he had a lot of success with Deliverance. Obviously, it was a smash hit. Changed the culture forever, as we discussed on that episode. Um, But Zardoz came about because he had planned to do, like, the first kind of, like, film adaptation of Lord of the Rings. Mm. And... Wait, what? That's what this is supposed to be? (laughs) Well, it's basically his, like, well... The studio won't let me adapt Lord of the Rings right now. So I still want to write a weird movie about a strange universe. So I guess I'll just do this movie Mm. called Zardoz. So he he admits, like I've seen him in interviews admit that (laughs) Zardoz is a little (laughs) (laughs) self-indulgent. Understatement of the century. (laughs) Yeah. And, And like, but, you know, I guess to his credit, I mean, he had just come on... He had just come off of the big success of Deliverance. And I guess was uh, Hollywood was like, you get to do whatever you want. You made a really popular movie. And so now you get to do your Zardoz thing, um, which I think is kind of unbelievable. And and that's, I think, part of what this movie is for me is just sort of like the audacity of it, which I'll get into in just a second. But I will say this. I have seen this movie maybe three, four times in my over the course of my entire life. I have programmed this movie at film festivals and on TV, and despite all of that, I'm still not entirely sure what it's about, totally. <laughs> so... <laughs> I just, I have to drop in here and say that I have never done acid, but I have seen Zardoz, and I want to put that on a t-shirt. Because yes. I feel the same fucking way. It doesn't matter how how often you see it and what context, you will never know what's going on. Oh my god! And I got to tell you, the first time I ever watched it, which I think was like, I think I was probably like twenty three years old or something like that. I basically threw a fucking tantrum because <laughs> I was pissed that I didn't ah! get it. And then I thought, oh, they're trying to trick me intentionally. <laughs> they're trying to make me feel stupid, which. The the Aries in me jumped out in that moment. I have oh, to admit, good. but I was <laughs> pissed. So, like, unlike other episodes, you know, we try to do like some kind of coherent plot, cohesive linear structure. I'm just gonna tell you what I think more or less understood in this film. It's not much. I'll just throw that out there. It's not much. Um, and I'm hoping it makes sense. Okay. I, I, this is, this is how I have to do it this week. And a one sentence synopsis would be basically impossible. So oh, please, I'm just going to tell you the gist of the film 
from what I've cobbled together over the years, okay? so Also, I, I applaud you for even trying to do that. And if you just start barking like a dog for the next five minutes, it's fine. <laughs> well, Completely applaud the effort here, because, wow, I yeah, couldn't do it. I'm, I'm going to try, maybe. It's not, it's not much, like I said, warning to all of you. So, Zardoz. Here's my attempt. It's the year 2293. Okay. And there appears to be some sort of like post-apocalyptic existence that sort of resembles the Dark Ages with like tribes and wars and open fires and people looking dirty and raggedy clothes. And and I want to ask you right off the bat about this because, Danielle, we've talked about this on the podcast before. You are famously into science fiction and I am famously not as much into science fiction. But I want to I want to understand this because I feel like a lot of sort of that science fiction element of like the post apocalypse or like the the sort of like post reality as we know it is like the dark ages like it's like dirty and raggedy and there's horses and stuff. So I want to understand that because I'm like, (laughs) why is that? Why? Why does the apocalypse not beautiful and instead has to be like dark and dirty and people you know, using the bathroom in the streets and that kind of stuff. Right. No, I, and I, it's a great question. And again, nerds do not come at me because this is just my opinion okay. and my interpretation. Um, and I think it's because there's a there's a there's a failure of imagination for what the future could look like if you're looking at what the present is. Okay. And so, the only way a lot of people can interpret what hap- how to rebuild a society is to go back to the beginning. Okay. So if it's a po- post-apocalyptic world, how do we rebuild after that? You know, we do are we using elements of the world that we know and just making them a little more cosmic? Or are we just completely scrapping that and saying new rules, no gods, no masters, like we're we're going over the top with this. But I think yeah. in and in this instance, in this film, it seems like more of the former. Like if we're gonna use the current landscape that we live in. And it's now, you know, so many years in the future, it's 2293. What does that world look like if we maintain elements of what humanity used to be? Right. And, you know, part of it is that, I mean, this film was shot in Ireland, right? And so I'm like, okay, well, so like, as a as a British director, he probably has a lot of working knowledge about like feudalism and like, you know, the Dark yes. Ages and all that stuff. And, and that obviously would affect sort of a story like this of his own damn creation, completely his own creation. So, but I just was curious because it feels like a lot of science fiction kind of depends on that too. Like I'm like, well, if an asteroid hits the earth, how come the earth isn't beautiful? And, and uh, yeah. you know, and instead of being, you know, with no power and no plumbing, but you know what? Well, and also I think that's, a, that's a way to center the story in a way that people can understand yeah. is like this is what this world lacks and that sometimes is is just as good as saying this is what this world is yeah because you need to kind of connect people to the story so if you're like all right we can't we shit in the streets or like we you know we wear <laughs> fucking tarps then people can understand what that is yeah. by looking at the world like we know what tarps are and we know that we don't wear them yeah. <laughs> like we know that we want to shit in a toilet or whatever it is like they yeah, can yeah, kind yeah. of okay you know connect it narratively well, thank you for explaining that a little bit to me because I was just like, damn, we're back in the dark ages again. Another science fiction thing. 
where there's open fires. Okay, so not that this helps the film whatsoever, but there is a slight <laughs> prologue where it's basically a man's floating head and it looks like someone literally drew on a mustache and a goatee on his face with a fucking Sharpie. Oh, this is like straight up. Like when I saw this, I was like, why, why does this man have vaginal folds painted on his chin? (laughs) Like someone took an eyeliner, a fucking eyeliner pen and was like, eh, close enough. And I think it's going to be my next Halloween costume. Like I'm going to put a blue pillowcase on my head. Yes. Memorize this fucking speech and then just paint a fucking vagina on my chin. Yes. And in the speech, by the way, it'll be very easy for you. All you have to do is just this big theatrical British accent and just say something about like how I can't die and it sucks. Like that's basically <laughs> what he says. It's just like, I can't die. It sucks, by the way. And I'm like, okay. Thank you for that. Again. Thanks so much. Does it help much? Not really, because you cut to the actual start of Zardoz. Where it seems like maybe this guy that we just saw, who is also named Arthur Frayne, by the way, he's turned into this giant floating head that's made of stone and it's wandering the countryside like this giant stone head. And the stone head is named Zardoz. And you get this you get the sensation that this stone head is in charge. It's like running, (laughs) running everything down below. And. Let me just say this. Much like Bilal from Basket Case, Zardoz has weird ass teeth and screams a lot. Homeboy, all he does is scream, say fucking talking non sequiturs, and then just spit guns and shells out of his fucking grill. Ah! Yes. The only thing I figured out is that this stonehead says that guns are awesome and that penises are evil. Okay. Which is like a half true statement, basically. I'll let you decide mm-hmm. which one is true. And then the head spits out a bunch of guns onto the people below. Just puking out guns. And you're like, wait, John Borman, talk me through this. Yes. These people are getting rained on with automatic rifles. So as it turns out, the, the people, I think, are called brutals. And they're all basically naked, except for these like red fabric pieces that are being fashioned into some kind of underwear ensemble. Oh, and please don't forget the thigh high boots. Oh, yes. Well, we'll be about to talk about the thigh high boots right now, (laughs) because here's the thing. Some of these brutals are also called exterminators, which I believe the distinction is simply that exterminators really love guns and they love killing people. I think that's what the difference between an exterminator and a brutal is. I don't know, but I will say this, the head, the lead actor of this film is Sean Connery. And he is one of these brutal exterminators. Okay. His name is Zed. And we got to dip into this right now. Thank you. Now, a tiny bit of background. So at the time of making this film, Connery was just off the Bond franchise and he wasn't doing much, I guess. So I guess he was down to appear in this outrageous fit. 
He's like, let me reset the dial on all this like cool as a cucumber bond shit by wearing the most intense thing I could possibly wear. I'm I this is not hyperbole, folks. There are parts of this movie where Sean's nuts are barely hanging on this fabric. Like it's kind of like a tuck under. It's like they take the fabric and they kind of wrap it around his waist and then they kind of tuck it under the nuts. And I'm like, he's about to fall out of that. Like, you need to swaddle the balls first. <laughs> Fucking get someone in there who knows how to swaddle and start with the balls. And then you, the rest is just dressing to keep it all together so you don't see the balls. Right. And it's just, it, he is running around. He's running around. He's tr- he is trotting around like a fucking shire horse. Like this man is moving. Yeah. And this nut hammock is barely working. Barely working in certain scenes. Okay. Plus it's like a muslin fabric, like a very like a <laughs> linen. It's already too lightweight for the work that they're doing. It's cr- it's crazy. It's crazy how he didn't come out of it. But as Danielle said, he's also wearing these thigh-high boots, much like Julia Roberts in Pretty Woman. <laughs> Which just add to the ridiculous of this outfit, okay? And what if what if Pretty Woman <laughs> took place in the Zardoz universe? <laughs> and the Julia Roberts character was actually a brutal extremist. <laughs> I'm calling it right now. Pretty Woman is the sequel to Zardoz. <laughs> Change the Wikipedia, please. Someone now. <laughs> and, you know, not for nothing, Sean Connery is is a fucking hirsute god. Probably only second to Dan Hedaya in Blood Simple. <laughs> and he's also got this, like, I mean, the look is fucking outrageous, okay? He's got that outfit, he's got the boots, he's got this long braided ponytail and this, like, giant 70s mustache. And... Let me just tell you, he pretty much wears nothing but this look the entire movie, <laughs> except for the scene where he wears a wedding dress. But that's it. Just this outfit. Okay. <laughs> Which I'm, I'm talking about it so much because it is what people remember the most about Zardoz, right? Absolutely. And like... If you go to like a, you know, like a Comic-Con or like a convention, you will invariably see like groups of people dressed in these outfits because it's just like the homage to Sean Connery and Zardoz. And I mean, it's just wild. I could never wear that outfit for Halloween or otherwise. I'm just like not happening for me. Okay. I would Um, wear it to a wedding. (laughs) You should have a Zardoz wedding, by the way. (laughs) Next, Next time you get married think about it um the dress code is muslin red shorts and thigh high boots yes tell and like your those mom bandoliers <laughs> like those red bandoliers that like have giant shotgun bullets and it's like such a look dude it would be great oh for God. a wedding so we fi- so okay going back to sort of what i have thought about in terms of the plot so we figure out that zed is like not in he's not aligned with like the Zardoz crap and he is more or less I guess kind of like a freedom fighter or something and he's he's trying to sneak into what's called the vortex which is this kind of like walled off dimension where these people called the Eternals live and to me I think the Eternals are like this they look like the 70s hippie cult 
uh, yes. of all these like beautiful people, and apparently they live forever. They're uh, they're eternal, right? Um, and they're kind of protected and encased in this like beautiful world, and you know they're very much they prize intelligence, and then everybody else in the planet, by the way, like they're walled off in this fucking paradise, and then everybody else on the planet is just killing each other, but also making them food, which I mm-hmm. find very insulting. Oh yeah, everyone else is strokes to funk, and they are yeah. like, um, what, can we have some more green bread? Yeah, we're like, we got to make these Eternals donuts with like the wheat that they break us off with once in a while. It's like bad, right? <laughs> so, I guess the the one thing I will say about this movie that is very interesting, and John Borman actually does say that is this. Eternals, this eternal society is matriarchal, which is pretty pretty tight. Mm. The heads of the the Eternals are these two women, May, who is played by Sarah Kestelman, and Consuela, who is played by one of my all time faves, Charlotte Rampling, in her gorgeous self in the seventies. So Zed sneaks into this vortex and he's eventually captured by these Eternals. And needless to say, the Eternals are like gross. And they tra- and they just start treating him like a slave and a lab rat. It's like, you know, oh, good. they like, put him in a this cage. Fucking pig. Yeah. <laughs> but and and they truly truly treat him like a lab rat because they w- are running experiments on him. And you are going to think I'm joking when I say this, but I'm actually not. The Eternals are super interested in his boner. Not a lie. Not a joke. They want to know how his boner works and i'm like what and what's interesting about that is that apparently the eternals don't fuck like they've like we have not seen a boner because it has been like bred out of us somehow yes so we're very interested in what actually makes you aroused and i'm like these are people who keep their their, they keep their plants in like butt-shaped plastic domes so that's how you know it's the future yes so they're all about like an anatomical approach but they don't understand boners at all and it's it's like this these scenes this scene in particular is so dumb it's like everybody's like you know spread across this like room where like they're showing actual porn and stuff and they're like what's the subject doing nothing he's not interested in a woman who is just literally soaping her boobs this is also the kind of movie that survives because of all the horny teenage boys in the 70s like there's fucking boobs in it we don't care what it's about yeah there's two women mud wrestling in that hot oh my god so and 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 the joke eventually is that Zed feels nothing of what he's shown but the only time he pops one is when Consuela is looking at him so it's kind of like, oh, Zed wants Consuela. Isn't that hilarious? Uh, and she hates him, of course, for now. <laughs> so then there's this other guy. Uh, for, his name is actually just Friend. Uh, and he's played by uh, John Alderton. He looks kind of like a cross between like David Hemmings and Roger Daltrey. <laughs> and... He's like the sassy dude of the Eternals who kind of takes Zed around and he's giving him kind of the lay of the land. The lay of the land? What did I say? The, <laughs> the lay of the, the land. The lay of the land. 
I don't know why I said it that way. It's because you just watched Zardoz. Yes. So. <laughs> Sorry about that. That was a total, total slip. I slipped into a uh, Irish accent or something. But anyway, so yeah. So he gives him the lay of the land. Okay. And friend ends up being cast out and sent to this like old folks home or something that apparently is a is the punishment for being a bad eternal it means that you you are aged a certain amount of years but you actually never die because you're an eternal so instead you just Mm -hmm. get sent to this weird house that kind of looks like the 1920s party from the shining everyone's just like waltzing I don't understand. And, what all, this is. and they all have senility. That's the that's part of the punishment is like you're you're aged and you're senile. Yeah, it is very strange. And there's this other like faction of Eternals that are also I think they're called the apathetics or something like that. And they just are like getting bread thrown in their faces and not doing anything. <laughs> like they're just like duh. And I don't know what that's all about. There's I I interpreted that as like they're so bored with being alive that they just don't want to do anything. Yeah. And I but I don't understand the distinction like like between like who gets to live in the main house with like all the mm. hot hippies and then who gets sent to the old folks home and who gets sent to the bread face zone or whatever. It's like I don't understand. Again. Yeah. And I also don't know where do the people who are voguing in the tree live? <laughs> Like, what house do they belong to? There's a lot of questions, obviously. This movie is beguiling for a reason. So that's all we could figure out. And then the rest of the movie is essentially Zed starts just turning everybody on in this world with his nut huggers and his disco chest and all that stuff. And then he eventually stages some kind of revolution among the Eternals that's somehow related to the Wizard of Oz. I don't, I'm like, oh, the Wizard of Oz has now entered the fucking chat. I no idea. <laughs> like, why? Entered the chat. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, folks. That is all I can really tell you about this film. Really? Yeah. That's it? And I w- I'm going to say this. So, like I said, I've seen this movie a lot in the over the course of my life. Still... Still can't tell you more than what I've just told you. And really, I like to call this movie an unwatchable masterpiece. <laughs> and, and it's just what that means. It's like, I'm in awe of what this movie is trying to do, maybe. Especially when, again, you consider how weird this movie is. Uh, and that was made for a major Hollywood studio. I mean, that is like, you know, pretty impressive for me anyway. Yeah. But... I do think it's a hard to follow movie. It feels like a lot of information is being thrown at you at all times. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with your film. I mean, it's like, you're just trying to understand like the world you're in. You're trying to understand like who people are, what people do, how they function in this fantasy universe. And I can never figure this out. Like I'm like, yo, it's 2293. But because like, there's just so much crazy shit going on. Like they will establish something as being a thing. And then in the next scene, something random happens, which as it turns out is a foundational piece of information that's crucial to the story. And you're like, what? Like, I have to rewind then, this again? What? 
But then they breeze over something like the apathetics. Yes. <laughs> and why are they making out with each other? They're like licking this guy. They lick, at one point they lick Sean Connery. And then they're just like, and then they transfer the licks to each other. And I'm like, what does this mean? There, this this movie suffers from a little something I like to call too many ideas. Yes. Ah! Pull a few of those out. Save them for another film. A hundred percent. There, and that's I think what I think is maybe why it has persisted over the years. Besides the nut huggers, besides Sean Connery's look, and. Uh, you know some other stuff but it's just like you know it is that thing where you're like wow imagine somebody who just had so many ideas at once and then they just put it in a movie and you're like oh like he tried it he tried it like (laughs) we got to give him credit for that right but i will also say this like having like if you can compart if you can compartmentalize this a little bit there's actually a lot of like funny and absurd moments that happen that will make you legit laugh i mean it is like so outrageous um, the part where Sean Connery's in the library and he's like throwing books and he's like, no, I'm like, that is so weird and dumb. Like, it's so weird. And, and I gotta say, it's also a baller move to be like, I just made one of the biggest grossing films of this year, possibly this decade. Like yeah. I have carte blanche to do whatever I want. I'm doing this weird shit. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. And it's, it, if you think about it in like historical context too, it is on par with a lot of like weird kind of off the cuff filmmaking that you saw in like the early to mid seventies. I mean, it's like, basically I feel like Zardoz, maybe this was like John Borman's Alejandro Jodorowsky movie. Like who knows? (laughs) Maybe this was his like Holy mountain. He was like, whatever. This is just my vision because I didn't get to do Lord of the Rings. I guess this is what I'm going to do instead. And I, I think we're being very generous as well. Like it's, it's because what it could actually be is a tantrum on film. Yes, it could be. I didn't get to send Bilbo Baggins into the fucking out of the fucking Shire. <laughs> so now you're going to get this fucking step into my mirror pyramid shit. Exactly. And I'm going to end on this note because I want to say one of the best pieces of trivia slash the best thought experiment in the world is that Burt Reynolds was originally supposed to be the lead, but he got sick. (laughs) That's why Sean Connery stepped in. Can you imagine Burt Reynolds being in Zardoz? I cannot imagine Burt Reynolds keeping a straight face through filming Zardoz. I don't think he had the countenance for it. I still feel like they'd allowed him to chew gum. Like he'd be just <laughs> chewing gum, <laughs> chewing gum, running around the Irish countryside in these like extremely tiny little fabric shorts. And they'd just be like, I want to see it, but I couldn't see it. Can't see it, <laughs> but want to. I think they would they would let him chew gum and never explain why gum still exists in this po- post-apocalyptic. <laughs> world (laughs) holy shit well you know listen like i said not as traumatic as your film but i would argue equally as weird yes and i'm glad i watched i haven't seen it in ages i'm so glad i watched it again it is just so wait what weird like it just truly is like you said it's an unwatchable masterpiece (laughs) 
and I'm glad for its existence. Yes. And listen, if if any of you out there have watched both these films as part of this episode and you watched them in a true double feature style, if you watched them back to back in one sitting, please email us at I saw what you did pod at gmail.com. I might send you something. I might I might send you a baby in a postcard in the mail. Who knows? That's a feat. That's a fucking feat. She'll at least send you some fucking spirit gum and a fake beard to put on your own baby. <laughs> Try that out. Well, look, if you just want to send us mail in general, again, the email address is I saw what you did pot at gmail.com. And we have a P.O. box if you want to send us handwritten letters. And you can also mostly find us on our social media. We are at I Saw Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And why don't you tell some friends to follow us? And why don't you also go and leave us a five-star review right now? I mean, all you have to do is press pause, pop that little review in, and then come on back. Yes, it's very simple. And we would be remiss if we didn't tell you that we also have merch in the exactly right shop at exactlyrightmedia.com. Do you want to announce the films for next week's episode? I sure do. Next week's films are Happy Go Lucky from 2008 and The Heiress from 1949. Yes, we had to cool off the heat of this deeply weird episode with two (laughs) other movies. Next week's episode is going to be like taking a dip in a pool. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's like escaping the fiery pits of Hades and maybe (laughs) jumping into a a crystal lake filled with beauty. Perhaps you're in um, a situation where a volcano has erupted and some bodies (laughs) have popped up in that lake, but you've escaped and made it to the cool waters of the ocean. Yes. But Danielle, I gotta say, I know that I'll never forgive you for making me watch Border. I will try my hardest to still remain friends with you after this. <laughs> I re- I hope you do. Um, I promise that I will wait at least another year before I try to shake you up in this particular way. <laughs> I mean, look, I don't want to go through our calendar, but I'm like, you know, you do this often. You think you only do it once in a while, but no. This has happened... Maybe five or six times in the past year, if not more. Oh, I know. I know. (laughs) But this one, like I said, this one tops them all. Tops them all. So you're going to have to really get, you're going to have to really find something to top this at some point. Because I don't know. It's been, Hereditary has been, has been replaced This is the new gold standard of being freaked out. (laughs) Yes. And I can't thank you enough. Honestly, all jokes aside, thank you for challenging me. Thank you for giving me sleepless nights. Thank you for forcing me to watch movies that I normally wouldn't watch. I I feel the same way. I'm excited for next week. I've never seen The Heiress. Mm. and I just feel so lucky that we get to do this podcast and I get to keep you and your dog awake. I think Sophie probably was having some some nightmares of her own, having watched this film right, right next to you. She was and, pr- probably uh, responding to all the literal barking 
that yeah. was happening like like troll barking basically <laughs> that was happening she's like this is a stressful situation why are we doing this she's like i'm getting but... sent a message from tina and vor i gotta go find some maggots to chew in the middle of the night let me out of here give me my maggots <laughs> Oh, I just I love this. I I'm thankful that you remain my friend after I show you shit like this, yes. and that we get to again do this pod and talk about films, and it's just too much fun. Yes, it is so much fun. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. This has been an exactly right production, produced and mixed by Casey O'Brien. Our theme song is by Tom Bryfogel, artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff, and Daniel Kramer. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at IsawPod. And you can email us at IsawWhatYouDidPod at Gmail. Follow I Saw What You Did on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate and review the show. And visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase I Saw What You Did merch.